Darn. I'm watching. I'm watching this lad on YouTube. He's YouTube's just brilliant. I suppose it's the same as a podcast. People can just have content about exactly what they want to have content about. <laughs> so this lad, this is the second attempt, but his first attempt was to walk across Wales in a straight line. So he's not allowed to leave. I think <laughs> I think fifty meters. Right is the most off this line, so he plots it out using Google Maps, draws a straight line, has a GPS tracking tool, and he sticks on it. So he needs to go through gardens, over hedges, through rivers, lakes. So he failed in his first attempt. So um, in March he had set out to do another one with this other guy that he does some content pieces of content with. Uh, they did a great one where they traveled around Europe, where they weren't allowed to use regular transport. Sort of, and I said, we have to use a bike. We have to use a boat. We have to be taken on a, um, a sidecar. Like these ridiculous things. And they do it. So anyway, him and his mate, much like you and I, they set off on this straight line. So they are dropped off and then they just need to, to walk. And they're half an hour in storm. And so they're climbing hedges and... The whole, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I, like, I just, I adore watching this. Like it's just great content it's a half an hour and i watch it like i watch tv i just kind of it's usually in my lunch where i grab some food put a full screen and i sit and i watch it. and it's all done kind of gopros and he narrates over the top of it it made me go back to something which i've mentioned once or twice maybe even on the podcast but i know i've mentioned it to you just about the fact that i i'm really 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 miss going for walks through the fields like it's just such a simple, amazing thing. Maybe I romanticize it, but I I'm not romanticizing it because I'm looking at these guys doing it and I'm looking at them scratching their hands up and like that moment where you're like, We're going through this part of the hedge. So you're figuring out like, right, well, I'll wrap my jump around that hand, I've got a bit of a glove in that hand, and I'm gonna stand on that knobble of thorns and that's got me and one, two and I jump and we're through and we're in what's in the field ah oh, it's a bull crap run next hedge that like, I would have spent years doing that <laughs> years doing that and it just I suppose even as a teenager when I was still in Ireland and a, an older fella having cans before going to the pub and stuff I would have been traipsing through fields but that doesn't happen anymore I still do it here you know I do it here I take Sonny out to uh-huh. places and it just kind of scratched the edge of it but I've lost You've lo- have you lost your 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 mojo for tripsing? Mm, I have, and I think there's a bit of um, a fear of fear of guns. Uh-huh. Far- farmers actually being get off my land. Yeah, uh. <laughs> where instead of like a good like I've been chased by many a farmer, and that was always part of the right the appeal too. To be honest, yeah. So just got watching these guys, Geo Wizard is his name. If anyone's into jumping over he- hedges like I am, Geo Wizard. Absolutely recommend these guys. Um, yeah, it, just, it, it, it kind of makes me sad every time I watch it. And you know what makes me sad too? It's that he's, this particular episode, it's because he's with his friend. And that kind of twists the knife a little bit more. Are you missing your pals? Are you missing old old buddies? Well, no, look, I'm, I'm lucky to have you, right? So like we get to do this and we, we, yeah. we go for walks. But it's just, there's something about the giddy. We haven't been for a walk for ages. We haven't. I don't. It's, I don't know. I don't know why. I think it's because you're working a lot yeah, as well. Boy. It's uh, we're not. You're not the man of leisure that you that you were when I met you, where we could just go and go for a drive, hook, hook about all over the place. Yeah, but maybe if you 
dangle a bit of rambling in front of me, I'll be... A bit of rambling. My dad did it when he was here. He uh-huh. took off one day and left and went all across that backfield and then jumped a couple of hedges all the way down out the back of your joint with the um, fields in. Aye, aye. And ended up all the way down to the airport just jumping over fences and walking away. Like, I want, I want that back again. I know so I don't, stopping here's me. the thing. Well, the thing that would be stopping you is like, I don't know what happens in Australia when yeah. you do that. Like, I don't know if somebody... It's not in the culture If somebody puts a all. gun on... Uh, not a gun, uh, sets a dog on you. I have no idea, like... Uh, or they're just like, oh, there's somebody out for a ramble. Yeah. You know? But uh, it's, I think it's that if... I presume at home, if you saw someone through walking through your field, the farmer's going to be pissed off and it's going to be a liability thing is like is he up to no good what if he hurts himself but it's not going to be the first person that year he's seen walking through a field there's been many before there's like a thousands of years heritage of people just walking the hell or wherever they want to go where over here it's kind of like I don't think that was ever also I would say as well like here as in as in America and a lot of places the fields are massive <laughs> It's not, no crack. It's like it's like a two mile walk to the next hedge. Yeah, you know, uh, what's left of it, right? The hedges are gone. Hedges. Uh, this week's guest, I actually think would. Uh, I, I wish I had have seen that this show was going on because I, I, I have a funny feeling he'd be. He'd be right into. Yeah, it. maybe. Yeah, maybe. this week's guest is Jason Ruz, Ulan Piper, uh, originally from County Tyrone in Northern Ireland, now resident in the great city of Cardiff, and um, yeah, you're. Uh, he also uh, Jason um, Darren said to me Dom you're lucky this week uh, when you're chatting to Jason you get to be the idiot and I think I do get to be the idiot in this one because we talk about well, yeah what, I'm, what I meant is like this is on paper when I when I found out I was going to be having a chat with Jason it, it was a dream come true because not only is he an Ellen Pie player and as anyone that's listened to this before you know my patient for Ellen Pipes but he also is a digital artist that works within the realms that I get to work with in, in my work. So it's augmented reality, virtual reality, generative art, those, that sphere, which I, I adore. I love that stuff. Like I'm, I love geeking out over it where Dom has often said to me before, like, what is, what that? is that? And I did fear that our chat about um, augmented reality might turn into the fifth tune on Planksy's live album, <laughs> where for me, I'm like, I, I mean, I know what it is, but the I don't know one. as much as you know. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I, I, one of my few qualities as a radio producer was that I was never, never been afraid to say, I don't know what you're talking about. Can you yeah. just, could you just explain that again? I don't, I don't understand that. So I mentioned in the episode a few times that I will link to uh, Jason's blog and, and some other things around his, his work. So check that stuff out if you're anyway interested in, what we speak about in here dive in he fantastic writer is i find his blog incredibly engaging it's so well written and it just uh yeah gives a really nice insight into both sides well all sides of 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 his artistic endeavor is really well stepped out in there so yeah. uh, today's chat was a real pleasure all right shall we go let's get into it. enjoy There we go. I use these. Um, uh, they're like uh, easy drawn uh, reeds. They're amazing. They never really go out of tune. But um, the uh, the the tenor one's a little bit funny. Just. Yeah. 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 Y
All right, here we go. I'd be disappointed if you didn't, uh, if, if, if a piper didn't complain about one part of the instrument before getting going, I'd be breaking <laughs> the norm. <laughs> Classic.
Jason Rose, welcome to the Blarney Pilgrims podcast. That's yeah, good to be here. <laughs> um, so, uh, wh- uh, what were those? Uh, what were those tunes? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the first one is the air of um, of a song, uh, "The Rocks of Bonn," uh, and then the second one is um, a little fling called uh, "Kitty Got a Clinking." coming from the fair um which is a great a great name uh yeah it's uh, two nice tunes um uh i think willie clancy recorded both of them um i'm not sure if he actually played them both together uh um but they, they sort of sit well they sit nicely a rocks of bonds quite um you know it's quite dramatic and then the little uh it's a little bit livelier afterwards with, you know, the little sort of bouncy fling. Um, yeah, I guess the, the first one I would have learned from, there's a Lamo Flynn uh, CD uh, where he does it with um, uh, uh, Paul Brady sings um, the song mm-hmm. and Lamo Flynn plays the, the tune on the pipes on it. Um, so that's where I would have first heard it, I guess. Um, yeah. Rocks of Bond's a song. It's a, it's a song, yeah? It's a song, yeah. It's about, it, it's, it's um in a way, it's a sort of portrait of like the harshness of being a an a, a sort of Irish labourer hired out to a farmer. You know. Yeah, I, I listened to it for the first time. I'm probably embarrassing, but I only listened to it recently. It's incredible. Uh, it, it's strange you would have played that because it's been only in the last few weeks that I've come across that. There's um, uh, what do you call the guy that's uh singing Joe Haney? Is mm. it Haney that oh, sings yeah. a really famous version of it? That's that so stark i don't know if you know that one jason uh no i gotta i have to have a listen to it later so jason then take us um really to the beginning of how did you um end up meeting the music and, and getting into it uh okay it's kind of a long story but uh i guess uh <laughs> strap ourselves in it's probably what um what the <laughs> podcasts are about so yeah why not um yeah uh so my brother uh, in school like learned uh, violin, and um, I actually went for one or two lessons on violin. But I actually, I really hated uh, classical violin, and um, my uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's quite funny. The um, my report card from uh, you know whenever I was like you know nine or something, uh, the teacher had written uh, under music. Uh, Jason has no interest in this area whatsoever, um, which is. Uh, <laughs> Which is great, yeah. Um, Tell me you still have it. <laughs> I don't know, my parents probably do. <laughs> so yeah, I, I started playing, I didn't really care for it. My brother uh, carried on playing and got really good at it. Um, but I was like, yeah, I'm not really massively into music, doesn't matter. And um, uh, my dad actually used to be in a band, um, uh, an, like an Irish um, like trad band called, called Stout. Uh, and he played bazooki in the band. And um, uh, it's a bit of a sad story in that his um, uh, his his best friend, uh, his best his best man uh, at his wedding was in the band, and uh, he uh, he died whenever we were quite young in a car accident, and um, he uh, for his like uh, anniversary they decided that they, you know they get the band back together and play like a, a reunion gig um, up in uh, up in Donegal up in Glenties and uh, yeah. Uh, that was like my first uh, experience really with uh, Irish music. Uh, I had no idea that my dad could actually even play. I come home from school one day and he's got this weird, uh, you know, Greek bazooki out and he's like strumming away and uh, he's got the guitar out and everything and playing away. I had no idea that he could actually even play. What age are you at this age? 
Uh, I would have just been finishing up school, so maybe 10 or 11. Oh, classic. So it's funny as well when you mention the bazooki, because like, I mean, it's just it's just part of the furniture now of Irish music, but it's easy to forget like what a, a, a slightly alien instrument it looked like, because my, my brother had a similar bazooki to the one you're describing. I'm, I'm thinking like a very long neck, a ball back, a shiny black front on it, the kind of bazooki that you would see in Nana Mascuri's band, right? That sort of more Greek style. Mother of Pearl inlay, all that sort of stuff. Is that what you're? Is that what you're talking about, Jason? That's exactly it. Yeah, my dad he picked it up. Um, <laughs> he picked it up in the in the seventies when he went backpacking around Europe. Got it in a flea market in Athens. <laughs> I mean, like n- yeah. n- nowadays he's he plays a, a lovely um, you know Joe Foley you know flat top um, bazooki. But uh, yeah, the Greek one still uh, you know it's got a different kind of vibe. You know, it's a different jangle. So it's a bit as a ten-year-old, and you see your dad just now all of a sudden playing a bit of a. Well, play, he's obviously playing good tunes. If he's if he's getting ready to play a gig again, like he's actually knocking them out. Was that a bit of a dad became a rock star, or was it just a bit surreal? <laughs> yeah, I don't know really. Um, I don't think it was the rock star thing, but uh, I don't know. Maybe. It was just like, uh, where did this come from? And like, you know, it's like you think you know someone, but <laughs> you know, you spend your whole life around around this this one yeah. person, and then they they suddenly have like a weird uh, musical side where they're actually you know really really good at playing, and you've never never heard them before. <laughs> yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I danced in front of one of my kids, and it was one of those magic moments where just it it went well. And I used to love dancing when I was a, a teen, and in my 20s and nightclubs and stuff anyway i did this dance both the boys i've got 10 year old kids they looked at me like what dad can dance there's no way dad can like dad can dance obviously i'm never gonna make any other moves in front front of them again but they had that moment of you think you know someone uh-huh. <laughs> i thought he was just out there with banjos and fiddles so uh, where were you where were you growing up jason uh, so yeah i uh, come from cyan mills and county tyrone just up on the up on the border really a couple of miles from the border uh of donegal um yeah to, like to be honest there wasn't like a massively musical you know community in Siam mills but in straban the, the the neighboring town uh there was quite a bit going on and they had lots of like you know regular sessions and and everything um the the fella um who played pipes in um in my dad's band was uh, uh a fella called noel divine and he taught most of the, you know, the people up around that area. He was a fantastic teacher. Basically, gave his whole life to, um, uh, to teaching, um, teaching music. A great uh, piper, and uh, yeah, and he, uh, you know, was big into speaking Irish as well. So it was just like basically playing pipes and speaking Irish. That was like his number one thing. And uh, yeah, he's an absolutely fantastic teacher. A uh, great player. I, and myself and a lot of people from that area owe him quite a bit, uh, to be honest. Maybe I'm I missed it, and apologies if I did. But when when your dad was playing that reunion gig in in, in Donegal, did 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 you go to see that gig? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I went to the gig. Uh, uh, we all went up like as a family, and um, uh, like my dad, he, he dropped into uh, uh, he stopped off in like a pub um up in glenties and there was noel in playing uh playing the pipes and blasting away and i was like oh my god what is this and um uh so yeah that was like, my first experience at the pipes just thinking like what a fantastic instrument and you know uh 
myself and my brother like after the the gig on the way back we were just like in the car it's like we want to learn to play irish music please i want to play the pipes <laughs> See, that, that's so lovely <laughs> so what was the process then did, did, was it just pester power until you got a set of pipes or how long did it take uh well i started on the whistle and um like i was so keen like super keen in those days um yeah so uh noel used to come down to our house noel lives up in the top of the top of the hill in the middle of nowhere on the outskirts of straban so my dad would go up pick him up on a tuesday night bring him down uh and we spent a couple of hours like learning tunes he would teach me and my brother uh at the same time uh we both learned maybe like four or five tunes a night like we're just like eating them up and uh and then after we'd like learned a couple of tunes, we'd have a session. So my dad would come in, Noel would play, and myself and my brother would play, and we'd do like a you know an hour or two uh, of just like playing tunes. Then just having a bit of a session, kitchen session, uh, and that was every week for for a good few years. Um, I got a, you know what? It's probably coming up to about twenty one years since I got my hands on a set of pipes. So I think I'm I'm approaching the you know the fabled. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the fabled 21 <laughs> years you get a little badge sent out don't you <laughs> i think so yeah yeah it's like a little seamus ennis badge um <laughs> the um yeah so the first set i got was a practice set i got a land of one um from noel i can't even remember who the maker was uh but um i was so thrilled to get it and uh yeah, it would have been about 21 years ago, uh, almost. I remember it happened in about um, September or October or something like that. Um, because I was going back into school, you know, and uh, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to like start playing pipes. It's great. Um, the, uh, I got my first, um, like my, my dad purchased a practice set for me um, off of uh, somebody local who was, uh, who was selling a set. Uh, it was made by um, uh, Charlie Roberts, who was like a, uh, an English fellow who lived over in Sligo, and he was the, the closest maker to me who was still making pipes. Um, so it was a bit of a, like they were very hard to get a hold of at those times, so he made a lot of pipes for people um, in my sort of local area. Um, and it, it was nice. I still have the, the chanter for that set, and I was playing it a little bit recently, and it's it's funny, like it's a very... It's it's when you pick up an instrument that you learned on that's not perfect, um, but it just feels like really nice to play and like you know really organic. You know you've you've sort of you know spent years of your life trying to like play something that's a bit uh, you know that's not you know not uh, I don't want to say it's not amazing, but it's 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 a lovely chanter to play. But it's just it's very idiosyncratic. Mm, and it, I'm sure it starts playing you at some stage because that relationship is there. It knows you're like you know it's contours and vice versa i actually have a question about when you were uh particularly young do you, uh, and i know it's it's very hard to remember vividly when you're that age but do you remember like what it was about the pipes in particular that that really grabbed you and thought made you think i gotta i gotta do that uh you know i, I don't i have no idea <laughs> it must have just been the sound of them or the drones or the look of them the complexity I guess, yeah, you know, it just it was just something like I'd never seen before, you know, something I had no idea even existed, and I just wanted to be part of it. <laughs> they're totally, they're, they're totally steampunk, really, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I think they're probably very. Uh, I, t- I, t- I know, but for me, they they're quite, they're really intimidating. Like there's there's so much going on when you watch someone playing them. You're going, well, f- I'm definitely saying nah, I, that's that's too much for me. I 
I can't tap my head and rub my belly at the same time. I'm not going to be able to to do that. And even and as a kid, to be as ambitious, to to think, yep, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I think I don't know, maybe it's a personality type. Uh, yeah, I think I just pick hard things and just go with it. You know, there's not I don't really do, <laughs> do things the easy way. <laughs> yeah. So so once you once you you were starting to work with a with a practice chanter and things, did how was the transition um, from the whistle right? So did did it feel like fairly natural or were there periods where you were kind of thinking uh, maybe this is maybe this is just too hard going? Uh, it wasn't easy, but I was very, um, very keen and very motivated. Um, there was definitely like when I first got the set on me, I, I was uh, expecting to be able to pick it up pretty quickly and play like the, you know, like you would um, uh, the whistle. Um, but yeah, the fingering was all different and there was like pressure and you had to get used to like uh, doing the bellows and the bike simultaneously. Um, yeah, there was definitely a, a period of, uh, of struggling there. But, uh, you know, I used to play like every day you know, before school, after school, you know, <laughs> probably really annoyed my parents and neighbors. Um, cause it's not, it's not a very, uh, uh, uh delicate instrument to, to be, um, practicing on, uh, very poorly. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it, there was definitely a period of, um, of, uh, just getting used to the instrument uh, that wasn't particularly easy, but I just sort of persevered and stuck with it. Um, I actually found uh, going back to the whistle afterwards. I, I think I had to like try and relearn like a lot of uh, sort of whistle technique. Um, you know, and how to play whistle properly. You know how to when to take breaths and <laughs> you know that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I, I guess if you like you know focus too much on one instrument, it's sort of um, you know it's uh, uh, you know you've got to be careful about your investments. I guess. Um, do you reckon we could uh, have another tune? Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, I think I'll, I'll play some, uh, maybe some readers. Yeah, just give me one sec.
lovely. Love it. <laughs> There's something there. I, I, I mentioned this to Dom a few weeks ago, and I just uh, I wish I could put my finger on it. There's a role that happens quite frequently in, with pipe players. It's not even that. That's just the la the um, the end bit. But there's a there's a role, and you did it a few times in that last tune that just kills me every time, and it seems to come in in a lot of tunes. Um, anyway, that's not really a question. <laughs> um, what did we just hear? Uh, well, I've been thinking um, recently. I've sort of been going back to like tunes that I uh, would have learned a long time ago. Um, you know, whenever I was sort of growing up and uh, and trying to like maybe like play them in ways which I wouldn't have played them before. Um, so the first one, I can't remember what it's called, but it's a, a Bothy band tune. And um, they would have been massive, uh, you know, for me growing up and I imagine a lot of other musicians as well. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's one that they play on, uh, I think it's part of the, the, the first, um, uh, you know, the, the Cash Jig set. And then they finish mm-hmm. up with that tune, uh, which is a lovely little weird, like, you know, like it sort of feels like it sticks out of that set quite badly. Um, I've always found, uh, but it's a nice little weirdo tune um, to play. And uh, yeah, I forget what it's called, but it's uh, definitely a Bothy band one. Um, but, you know, historically, like I've only ever really played it just by like, like thrashing through it, you know, the same sort of Bothy band way. Um, so it's uh, it's been quite nice to sort of pick like, you know oddball tunes like that and try and like maybe like figure out what makes them tick and if there's a different way in which you can get around some of the the strange uh you know the little phrases and stuff in it uh and the second one is scotch mary um which uh um it's kind of like i would have learned it from um uh patty keenan recording um uh, it's on nakina fair uh he plays it on that and uh you know it's uh again like you know a different version um uh to that sort of you know i'm trying to like take a little step back from like thrashing through stuff <laughs> you know especially on readings which is really fun to do but um you know it's not particularly musical <laughs> so when you said uh, your previous way of playing when you say thrashing through it like what 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 do you mean by that do you mean it's just it's it's very fast and you're just kind of getting through it how would you describe that style of playing versus to now like i think whenever whenever i was like uh growing up i spent a lot of time just playing in sessions uh, and not really much time focusing on like being a piper <laughs> if that makes sense or um so like where i come from like up in that sort of part of the world you're very close to donegal and uh so you have like a lot of that sort of uh the, the, the sort of donegal pace um and uh you know uh which is just you know flat out playing and uh which is great i think that's really fun to do and it's really fun for sessions uh if you're playing with you know your friends or whatever um but i think you know just when i play by myself or for myself i try and just like you know be a bit more uh you know put a bit more thought into it and it allows you to like be a bit more uh picky about your ornaments and uh what little bits you want to add in or take out I have a whole lot of questions to ask around your your art, but just I think a nice segue would actually be to talk about your um, your MIDI set of pipes. You, I've I've saw saw you play some online. Is it like what are they called V pipes or something like that? All right, what what are, what are we talking about here? Like, so I'm I'm going to be the the know nothing here. So what are we talking about? <laughs> okay, so um, uh, 
they're made by a, a fellow out in Spain. Uh, they're basically um, the they're uh, it's a plastic uh, set of pipes like a, that tries to emulate the bag and chanter. Uh, and they have little MIDI controllers where the finger holes should be, and uh, you can plug them into your computer or you can plug your headphones in, and basically they, they, they try and uh, emulate uh, the sound of the pipes and uh, the feel and the play and the pressure on the bag and everything. Uh, they're just they're fantastic. They're a lot of fun. Wait, so how how does that even, like, so would you say there's instead of the holes, there's MIDI control? What's a MIDI controller? Is that a button? Uh, yeah, kind of. It's um, I think they're like little... Um, uh, they basically they they can understand like uh, where your fingers are on them, so it's not really you're not really pressing a button. It's like you're, it feels like you're covering a hole. Um, so you can do things like you can like slide your notes, you can sort of half hole, you can do vibrato, that sort of thing, which you wouldn't necessarily get with uh, um, with just a, a simple MIDI trigger. So how close how close would you say you're getting to the to the real thing? Um about 60 percent of the way <laughs> that's quite far i would i want to say it's quite far like it, and, and what's the uh what's the utility of this uh as, as my dad would say what is that what what's the utility of this thing you know why would you why would you do that why, why would you want to play the pipes through headphones oh is that what it is is that so you can play through yeah headphones? so you can plug it into a, an amplification system or just plug your headphones straight in right it is. It would be. Is it straight into the unit itself that your headphones go into, or do you need to go into a computer and then out of there? No, you can plug your headphones straight in. Yeah, it could be on your morning commute, sitting on the tram. <laughs> Does this coincide with you having children or anything? <laughs> Getting married? No, <laughs> no. I just, um, you know, I'm a bit of a. I, I like. I'm not a geek, but I do like tech. You know, and that. That's why I brought it up. I think it, the. Um, Knowing the other side of of what you do and being a digital artist, I, I I think that's a it's a great tell of what like where we'll we'll end up talking about other things that you're you're interested in. Did you um have you tinkered with the MIDI input playing with any art before? Actually, you know what? To give credit to you, let's just take a pause and I'll get you to maybe talk about the, your artistic side if if you wouldn't mind, just to kind of explain what you do. Yeah, okay. Uh, so, yeah, I play the pipes. Uh, I play lots of uh, music, that sort of thing, but I also uh, make a lot of art. Um, uh, I, I, just to go back to maybe to, to being in school, uh, I never, when I when I left school, I went to art college and I wanted to, to be a painter, to, to study art. Um, I didn't feel like going and studying, uh, you know, music or anything like that. I just felt like, you know, I could learn, uh, if I wanted to be a better a musician I could always like learn from you know like uh, within the tradition if I needed to um, but I definitely felt that I could benefit from going to, to art school and learning a bit more about that um, so yeah I uh, I uh, studied art that's uh, I um, yeah I studied art that's my uh, that's my thing really um, as well as the music uh, and uh, yeah I've always wanted to be like a painter I just love using paint uh, but my practice uses all different uh, types of uh, disciplines. I don't want to be like limited to any one thing. Um, and uh, I suppose I'm most known for uh, my work that involves computers in some way. Um, so I'm not like a, not a digital 
Pinter, you know, people who like paint using, you know, iPads or whatever, uh, per se. Uh, I'm more like a digital artist, so, you know, the, the computers or phones or whatever, th those are my tools that I use, you know, as, if, for example, a painter would use a paintbrush, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I, I, I got the impression looking at some of your art, so uh, a lot of your landscapes, like I, I actually, quite, I adore your landscapes. They're, they're, there's something really amazing within them uh, i think i mentioned this when i was on the phone to you and you you said something and it kind of stayed with me and i don't know if i understand it so do you you create your works in in a game engine for example whether it's unity or, or, or something like that a real engine and then do, do you is it printed paint or do you like do you, or then do you actually paint from the scene that you've built within the engine uh a bit of both really i mean it, it actually depends on what i'm working on uh i so a few years ago, well, it's, to be honest, it's, there's always been this duality to my practice uh, where a lot of it is um, either informed by painting or it sort of looks into, you know, um, uh, like it uses like historical art as like a, as a jumping off point. Um, so I've always been interested in like the sort of like those two uh, uh, you know, those two ideas that, that are like colliding with, you know, using digital um, tools. Uh, so I've done a lot of work where I use uh, video games and then sometimes I'll use screenshots from that video game uh, and that can be the art by itself or it could be um, it could be uh, a video clip of it which is projected onto a wall or onto a display in a gallery or something like that um, and then sometimes I'll uh, do paintings from them as well so it's like it sort of comes full circle on that um, yeah and uh, I also do paintings from real life um, I'm really interested in uh, the um the sort of region where I come from uh and doing paintings from like the local landscape there uh but you know while they are like typical sort of traditional landscape paintings done like as paintings in a painterly way you know with the uh, brushes and brush strokes and things uh, a lot of how I go about it has been informed as well um by uh you know the using computers and things as well could you tell me a bit more about 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 that what what do you mean so what would distinguish the sensibility that you're articulating with your background in in technology when you're sitting down um um with do you do you work are you talking about acrylics or oils or watercolors or uh, yeah, I mean, I typically paint um, using oil paint. Uh, a lot of uh, I paint on sheets of metal as well. A lot, mostly sheets of metal, um, which gives you this lovely, uh, glossy, shiny object, which is a bit like you know. I, I like to think of them as uh, you know the kind of way uh, that people sort of fetishize um, like mobile phones as these little like little screens that you peer into um they, they sort of uh, uh -huh. they're a little bit like that or i like to think of them as like that um i often use uh like typical aspect ratios that you would see from like technology so either you know like uh, from a camera aspect ratio or you know sometimes they're like the, the, the same shape and size as you get on a phone i do a lot of square paintings which are kind of like referential to um you know to like uh instagram you know images like I like the idea of uh, you know trying to capture like a moment in time, um, which you know uh, a lot of paintings about, but also it has links to you know how people 
show themselves on the internet or you know using their their digital avatars uh you know on platforms like instagram or snapchat um I'm also interested in the relationship of like text on painting and um, how people, you know, like write text on their photographs and like add like little emojis in and things like that. Like I find that absolutely fascinating. And uh, I think there's a lot of similarities in that, um, you know, that sort of sharing culture that we have with uh, Internet stuff. And a lot of it like relates to the sort of the sort of native um, painting from Donegal, like a lot of the the Tory Island painters, um, which is like uh-huh. a, like a sort of school of, uh, uh, of, uh, of artists up on that Island who, uh, have very primitive, uh, naive, um, outsider art. Uh, and a lot of them would have like written on the paper, uh, on the painting, you know, this was done on Tory Island. Uh, this is the, the, the tractor that came from the mainland, you know, that sort of thing to like maybe to, to describe what the painting was with text. And I see a lot of uh, similarities between that and what people are doing with sort of, um, uh, sharing the photographs and the uh, stories on the internet and I've just tried to incorporate a little bit of that into uh, into my artwork as well. I would recommend anyone that's listening to to check out your blog like I got down the rabbit hole I was <laughs> ended up a good few years back in your in your writing and I love some of your takes in there. One of the things that just drew, drove me wild I went straight away and told my wife about it was the um the Snapchat filter you did the augmented reality um balaclava. So Dumb, what it is is uh, this. Well, Jason, I think it's you know what. Why don't you explain? Because I'll just butcher it. Um, so I'll maybe I'll tell you what it is, and then I'll tell you maybe why I did it. <laughs> um, uh, so it's it's a Snapchat filter. Uh, same as you know, you get the normal ones. You can like you make your face look prettier, or you know the um, they give you like little hearts on your face or whatever, uh, or they make it look like you're wearing sunglasses or you know that sort of thing. Um, I thought I'd do one where it makes you um, uh, it puts a balaclava over your face. Um, so uh, I was just thinking. Uh, well, I've done a lot of um, like one of the my interests in um, in making art has always been uh, like dealing with um, like. Well, it's hard to be an artist from, you know, where I come from and not be a political artist. Um, so I've always tried to do like sort of uh, political statements uh, within the art. Um, even if it is a landscape, it's, a, you know, it's a political landscape, you know, of course. Uh, so I was, I've always been interested in, um, you know, trying to find identity with that. Uh, and you get... Um, uh, so it's kind of like you know, from Northern Ireland, like the balaclava is such like a like a um, an important symbol, um, and uh, it's the inspiration behind it was really um, I wanted to make some work about how uh, the um, uh, there's a lot of uh, there's like a recent sort of upsurge in paramilitary stuff, and uh, it's from kids who sort of glorify you know the sort of old days where the where they would have wouldn't have even you know witnessed any of the violence or anything like that and it's just really really uh shocking and uh, disheartening to, to see that you know there's the potential for, to to return to some bad uh times like sort of during the troubles and all that and uh how kids are actively you know they're like the the, the next generation coming up and i wanted to make something that was kind of like mm-hmm. childish and you know like the kids use like filters quite a lot it's not something you're gonna see you know uh, it's so powerful man i love it it's really really powerful for for something that which is why like you know more than anyone but the the first emotional reaction when you see it 
like it's it's quite um distinctive you've like we were all, we're all pretty reactionary when we see a balaclava because it holds so much and then in in the hands of snapchat i love it it's such a so so what does it sorry what does it do so it maps to your face so it would it would snapchat tracks where your face is and then it, it would put things on it so when you turn left right up down the eye holes stay exactly so so when you were talking there about an upsurge um in paramilitary stuff uh jason are you talking about activity or are you talking about sort of um to use that word you used yourself the fetishization of it or the you know the fetishization of the iconography of it you know what i mean oh it's um yeah it's it's definitely like it's it's both of those things i think um but uh i guess the um uh the incident that prompted me was whenever uh uh, Lyra McKee was shot um, recently up in uh, up in um, Derry. I'd written about her um, when I did my masters actually. Cause she'd done some um, fantastic writing about uh, the troubles and intergenerational uh, depression and trauma. Um, uh, and then whenever she died, I was like, you know, this is like quite serious stuff. And it's you know, it's it's you know, she was definitely like shot by kids, you know, <laughs> which is uh, the you know the most shocking part of it. Um, you know, people who wouldn't have been around for you know the bad stuff to to, uh, and then they hear about it or whatever, or they 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 see it as a way to, to you know to rage against a machine, and uh, and it's just a pretty awful situation really for everyone. I was trying to think about this in in terms of of, well, I suppose first off, I should I should admit a blind spot in in my understanding of of everything really. So being a southerner. Um, and being then probably from the pale region i'm pretty ignorant to a lot of things that would have or, or i'm pretty ignorant to the life to life in the north and what um what the, the troubles kind of mean so to deal with that i i would just not talk about it because i wouldn't want to show a show my ignorance and b i think the taboo around getting something wrong is it's crushing so I'd, I'd rather just say nothing about it so then dealing with this podcast it's been a reoccurring thought in my mind and a couple of guests have mentioned that the mu- the music has always bridged both communities and like i just have to take that at face value because I, I don't have any experience of it but the one thing that kind of is in the back of my mind the whole time which I'm going to bring up tonight is really where where do rebel songs fit in, in 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 that was that something that you would have been exposed to in like when you were coming up? Uh, yeah, it's a good 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 point actually. Um, so even though like uh, the Straban, the next town over, is like a you know one of the most sort of fiercely Republican uh, areas in uh, in Northern Ireland. Uh, the village I grew up in, Simon Mills, which is just about a mile, two miles away, uh, that was a mixed village, um, and it always was. And I went to like a mixed, I say mixed, uh, a Catholic and Protestant uh, school. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's not quite. Uh, yeah, and uh, so you know uh, there was you know I won't lie and say that there wasn't any. Uh, you know rebel songs or any of that nonsense but um uh 
whenever we went to sessions, uh, they were never played. Um, they were absolutely frowned upon. Uh, you would get somebody requesting maybe just to, to sing something or you know want you know or to play uh, something, and um, uh, they would have been told uh, where to go by the musicians. So you know, yeah, uh, really, yeah, even like in in Straban in that area. So it was great to see, and um, you know, we've definitely moved on you know nobody really wants to hear that sort of stuff and uh you know as a musician <laughs> I, I, i'll let you um yeah uh so uh it's it's a bit strange actually um so i play over here in a little um uh, a little keely band we do uh or i have done we've done uh, a few like you know sort of local gigs in south wales and uh we were going to do some uh some polkas i think or some marches i can't remember what it was and uh, one of them was like uh like a republican tune and the uh, and I, I flat out said to the to the the you know the band uh, leader that I, I'm not going to play that, and they were like, "Well, nobody over here knows that it's like a Republican tune," and I'm like, "That's that's not the point," you know. So so let me ask you then. So so you, you used a few terms there, and and um about um um describing those songs as that nonsense and stuff. So what is your feeling towards those sort of cultural? artifacts you know what i mean um and and the reason the reason and the reason i ask in part is because i have a really ambivalent ambivalent i would say ambivalent attitude towards them like there's part of me that sees them as really important articulations of a of a certain political and cultural identity and there's also part of me that seems sees it as a very uh cheap and easy glorification of uh violence and so I, I I don't know where to put myself at times. You know when I hear when I hear that stuff in the pub or whatever. I, even now at the age I am, I'm kind of like ah fuck this shit. I don't actually, I don't like it. But but there is still part of me that feels a tug, like a a, a tug of. Um, it's not sentimental. It's a tug of, uh, fellow feeling and a tug of like, this is, this is part of a a, a culture that I belong to, that was suppressed and all that stuff so what do you reckon <laughs> uh i mean like yeah the songs you know what they're not going to go away um and uh, uh i suppose you know they're they are you know some of them are, are good songs as well you know uh, taking it on like a musical um you know on on its musical merit but uh I, I to be honest i have no interest in in listening to any and if somebody um uh you know suggested that that i would play one or somebody that i know started playing them i would tell them to catch themselves on yeah it's it's i think the other th- the thing the similar thing that i have is so playing clawhammer banjo but that has a there's a there's a there's a moment in its history which is is despicable and there's a lot of tunes that have made it through that and out the other side and they might have lovely melodies and and i'll i'll pick one up and i'll start learning and then it's only later on that i'll find out that it has a, a racist past to it and it's that moment of god damn it like it's undeniably a great tune when i heard it i really enjoyed it but now i i know the history of it i have to let it go like i the, the tune for me, the tune can't win the the battle in that instance. But if I was ignorant to it, <laughs> yes, maybe I would. No, that, that there's there's something to that. But then, Jason, what what what? How do you make sense of the fact that there are these 
numerous tunes that are part of shared traditions that belong to both cultures. You know, one tune is a sort of bastardized version of another tune that gets played in an orange band. You know what I mean? There's there, there's lots of examples of kind of those um, tunes that bounce around in musical soup, if you know what I mean, to mix my metaphors. <laughs> Swirl around in the soup. <laughs> um, they belong to both traditions. So like, how do you how do you decide that's that's something that I'm not going to play? It's just a matter of personal sense, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a weird one. Like, I mean, like most of the, uh, you know, the so-called Irish tunes are just like Scottish tunes I came across. I mean, like, well, the last one I played was called Scotch Mary. I mean, come on, um, you know, or like even like the big ones, like Rakish Paddy is obviously a Scottish tune as well. Um, and, uh, you know, there's probably, I might get, you know, murdered by the pipe crew for this one but you know it could be that the Ellen pipes didn't come from ireland at all you know we don't really uh we don't really know a lot of the the, the big early makers were from england or from scotland so you know it's like uh there's there's definitely a lot of like sort of cross-pollination and uh and but i think you know there's there's, there's cross-pollination of, of tunes within the, the history um you know within the within the within the tradition uh and then there's you know uh but then I would probably place things like rebel songs, you know, to like a different, uh, a different category from that. Do you reckon we could have another tune? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, what do you fancy? John South. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Great stuff. Okay. Uh, let's see. Um, Oh, hello. Thanks, Jason. That was great. Hey, I've just have a quick 
question before we move away from the art or maybe we'll come back to it but um i loved your video you did for napripa um during lockdown the um what's it called the pipers in the parlor and the one just one one thing i noticed is there was a few um drawings of pipers in the background are they yours uh yeah yeah they're my uh paintings yeah so i've been um working on uh <laughs> i've been using the uh the opportunity of uh, being locked down to try and improve my portrait paintings and uh yeah uh it sort of started um a friend of mine um asked me to do a commission um he owns a a very nice uh, set of pipes um historical set of pipes by the taylor brothers and uh, he asked me to do a painting uh of the original owner um uh uh you know uh professor cummings uh whose uh, portrait was taking and it's in uh, o'neill's uh, musicians and minstrels uh, so he asked me to do a painting of that for him so that he can have in his house and uh so I was like, well, I better get better at doing portraits if I'm going to, if I've been commissioned to do one. So, um, yeah, I've done quite a few uh, bits and pieces, uh, you know, uh, painting pipers. And I was like, you know, what? I might make this into a little series and do do a few of them. So, uh, yeah, it's been sort of uh, early days on a lot of um, on that particular uh, project. But, yeah, I've been painting a few pipers. It's been uh, it's been a lot of fun, actually. Nice. I look forward to seeing what comes from that. Uh, just one other thought while I have it is because you, you, your instagram you've got some really nice pieces of work up there what what's your instagram handle or name it's a uh, cyan rose um so where i come from is uh, cyan mills uh it's s-i-o-n um and then my uh, my surname rose uh, r-o-u-s-e yeah lovely so so how do you um how do you get from tehran to where you are now so let's kind of uh, and I'm wondering about you know you, you describe very easily um, in passing you know you decided you wanted to study art and stuff. Where did you study? Um, so uh, I was actually going to study in Oma uh, originally. Um, so to do the, to to study art at um, uh, at university, you actually have to do um, uh, over here. You have to do an extra year uh, foundation year. Um, so it's normally like a four years uh, altogether to to to, uh, to do art, and um, the the local um, uh, technical college in Oma was doing. Um, uh, they did the foundation year of art, so I like applied for it. I got accepted uh, after school, and um, it was like great. I'm going to go to to Oma, and they give me like uh, like a ring on. Um, like maybe like uh, like two weeks or so before I was supposed to go, and they're like, "Oh, we're not going to run this course this year because not enough people applied for it." Um, which was a bit of a nightmare. Um, but uh, I had some friends who were going to uh, to, st- to study in Limavadi. Um, so Limavadi had one of the, uh, it was a little bit further away, but it had one of the best um, uh, rated uh, art colleges, uh, f- sorry, f- for that course um, uh, in the sort of, you know, in the UK. Mm-hmm. And um, so I uh, applied like the week before I like, explained my situation. They give me an interview and I, I got accepted, but, but uh, yeah, it was pretty hairy for one moment. Um, I thought I would have to do like a gap year or something like that, which, you know, maybe in retrospect wouldn't have been too bad, but uh, it was nice to be able to go straight into uh, a foundation year. Um, so after my foundation in uh, Limavadi, I actually moved over to England. Uh, I lived in uh, Bath in the Southwest, which is a lovely little, um, like amazing city, really. Uh, lovely quaint, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, Roman, 
city, Georgian city. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, a great place to go and study if you want to do art. And uh, yeah, I did my three years there. Um, uh, after yeah. after studying, I, I tried to move back home for a bit. and um, But it, uh, basically, I moved home just as the... Uh, the recession, the global recession had started. So I was like, you know, uh, moved from like, what was essentially a really nice, um, you know, place to be, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, jobs and things about to move back home to like living, you know, in a village uh, on the border um, with no jobs, no prospects. And uh, I quickly made my way back over and I ended up in, uh, in, uh, in Cardiff, in South Wales. Right. How, how so? How was that um, uh, that that area where Bath is and and around there uh, um, and Somerset and stuff? It's just a gorgeous, gorgeous landscape as well, right? Not unlike actually, not unlike parts of the north. But um, I, I I was wondering how after you know three years in Bath, how it felt being back home again. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was definitely a, a difficult time. Um, like, I didn't, yeah, I didn't really enjoy being back home as much as I thought I would, you know? And I, it's just, it was nice to sort of move away. And it's good to be away from all the sort of political stuff as well, you know? Like, it, it really, you know, grinds your gears after a, after a short, uh, you know, after a short time. And it's a lot of things that you sort of just like take, you know, on like face value, you know, whenever you live there. Mm-hmm. That whenever you like, like, for example, I don't know, like like bomb scares and stuff. You're just like, oh yeah, it's another bomb scare. Great, gotta you know, gotta do something else today or whatever. And uh, whenever you're like away from it and you come back to it, it's like you know, oh right, this is all pretty weird. And uh... <laughs> it, sorry, go on ahead. No, I was just gonna say, yeah, you sort of you know, you you appreciate it from like a like a like a different point of view, really. Um, you sort of realize how fucked it is. I mean, I, I've had this conversation literally in the last sort of, sorry, I'm shouting now because I can't hear. I've had this conversation like in the last three weeks with four different people from Northern Ireland who are all kind of roughly my age or a bit older, like around 50, 52, 53, who, who have all said that um, it's taken a long time of, of being away from Northern Ireland to realize that was completely fucked. You know, and I and and all of these people would admit, as I do myself, that we come from a position of privilege, so we're not in a position to be kind of passing judgment on other people. So that's not what we're doing. But but an acknowledgement of like what a distorted society it was and still is, and how long it's going to take for that to unwind. You know, absolutely agree. Yeah, I mean, uh, one thing that I've sort of realised that we're really good at, like you know is uh is immigration uh we're really good at just getting everywhere and just like having a good time of it you know so uh yeah say most of my friends that i grew up with um they all like live uh you know in different parts different parts of the world like my brother moved to to greece actually so yeah he has uh he's moved pretty far away he's got a lot of uh a lot of bazookis over there it really is the best uh, way to build a brand of a nation is to have a nation of people that are great at emigrating and then make them a bunch of sentimental bastards as well (laughs) well what what a great what a yeah you're just you're in to win like there is no failing in that one you literally go everywhere in the world and then be incredibly nostalgic for the place you left and everyone it must be great back there it's all right so actually when you said 
that you it wasn't what you expected when you went home. What were you expecting? I uh, I think I was just looking for um, maybe to like have like a nice job or something or to. You're being greedy. It's normal stuff. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was happy enough just to to like. So I had a quite a few. But was it something that you kind of wanted to go back to that you felt you weren't getting in, in Bath or, or the South? I don't really know, you know. Um, it's, it's hard to say, like, uh, looking back on it, I think maybe it was probably, like, a, like a good idea just to, like, to go back and see what it was like just for a little bit anyway, you know, and see if I could get along with it. Um, but, uh, you know, I was quite happy that I, 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 I couldn't, you know. <laughs> was there a moment um, when you went back um, where you realised, ah, this is... I kind of, I kind of hack this. You know what I mean, like. And did you have to tell your mum and dad? Sorry, I'm going to Cardiff. <laughs> I don't think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but it was probably more like a series of, uh, like a series of, uh, you know, small things all adding up, and then just being like, yeah, I'm gonna move away. Uh, to be honest, I think they're they're very supportive of me, and uh, you know, yeah, it, it was fine actually. So would you would you go back often? Would you go back often now? Well, before the the lockdown, I I used to. Um, we were very uh, uh, lucky to have like um, uh, um, there's an airport, um, like Cardiff Airport. It's not too far away from 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 me, uh, and they did regular flights to both Belfast and to Dublin. So I'd go back maybe I don't know uh, maybe ten times a year something like that maybe more pretty much like once a month you know, um, yeah. and. Uh, but since the coronavirus, the the airline that operated those flights uh, no longer exists, so it went into flight B. Yeah, they went into administration. Sadly, so getting home is going to be a bit more trickier uh, in the future. Um, actually, was uh, I was just going to say I was uh, scheduled to go back for St Patrick's Day, and uh, you know I thought I made the decision to like maybe stay in Cardiff and just see how, what how everything panned out. And I'm really glad that I didn't go back because you know <laughs> I might still be there. <laughs> mm-hmm yeah what's um what's the cardiff um music situation like well obviously not now but what was it like up to to this point uh from a irish perspective yeah it's a good um uh, it's a good little scene um there was uh used to be like two uh sessions like two regular irish sessions and then maybe a third one in a different location um it was always a good crowd um you know is it the prince of wales is there a uh, yeah yeah it's uh uh weatherspoons right i think um what else there's welsh sessions so if you want to learn welsh students, uh, or speak welsh or whatever you can go to those sessions i've been to some of them um welsh students are a bit um i don't want to say they're a bit simpler than like irish music but they're a bit more repetitive uh and again they're good fun to play um some of them sit nicely on the pipes uh the there's a, a galician session um which is just the most fun. Is there? Yeah, it's just so much fun. There's one one every month. Um, a good friend of mine, uh, Gerardo, uh, runs that. And um, uh, God, you know, you'd have maybe uh, three or four Galician bagpipes in there. Uh, sometimes you have 20, 25 musicians. Um, they, they have the big uh, drum and everything. Oh, they have some incredible instruments. Have you, you know, the, have you, does anybody play that thing um, that's like a bull scrotum? That that they sort of um, they they blow into and it it makes this kind of drony bu- uh, drony buzzy kind of noise. <laughs> I know what you mean, but no, we don't have that one. <laughs> right. Okay. 
the reason I know that is, um, have you ever come across Kepa Hinkera, the, the, the Basque accordion player? No. Oh, you haven't lived. Look him up. He's he's phenomenal. He's like he's like um, he's like Martino Connor. You know, he's like that kind of caliber of musician. He's incredible musician, and and I've seen him a few times, and he always has these incredible um, musicians from from that region with him, and they they're always playing these uh, really fascinating instruments. So a Galician session in Cardiff sounds awesome. There's so much going on. Like Cardiff's a big city, but it's not huge. It's a lot. Like that's every night of the week, you could be at a session. Then really, <laughs> well, it's not. It's not quite like that. Although I would, you know, I would love that. That would be amazing. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's a good variety of of um, of, uh, of different types of music as well. You know, which is which is great. It's good to see. Before we go, I do want to ask you about your pipes. So, what you can start with the pipes you're playing. But I also want to ask you about because you do some restoration work as well, and are you are you learning to to build pipes as well? I'm not, I'm not like I sort of fell into that to be honest. Um, I'm not like a pipe maker, and I'm not looking to make pipes. But I I find that, um, like being able to like make little bits and uh, has been really 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 useful actually. Yeah, I um well I'll tell you. Uh, I'll tell you about the pipes that I'm playing, and then I'll tell you about the uh, set that I've been restoring. Um, uh, I'm really lucky, actually, to have um, uh, the set here. They used to belong to uh, Ronan Brown, and uh, they're the set that he made uh, himself, along with um, uh, the flute maker Martin Doyle, who helped to make this set. And, uh, yeah, whenever I was um, a kid, maybe like 13 or whatever, I just started on the pipes, uh, um, Ronan's band, uh, Cran, came to Straban, uh, to to play to play gig, and they also did some like lessons. So Ronan took me, uh, my friend uh, Chris McMullen, uh, for like a pipes lesson whenever we were you know thirteen, uh, around that. And uh, I saw these pipes and I thought that they were the coolest set of pipes that I've ever seen in my life. And uh, what was it? What was it about them that that drew you? They're they're just um, they're kind of uh, for the the pipe nerds out there. They're kind of based on Johnny Burke. Um, uh, his sort of style of pipe making. So they've got these big silver keys. Um, they're they're a really long set. Like they're like you know obscenely long compared to most like uh, normal sets of pipes. Um, they have a very cool thing that Ronan did where um, you can unlock uh, the um, the bass uh, regulator with these little like keys and it comes off and it, it was for like making it easy to like store away. I just thought that that was the coolest thing I've ever seen, and. Um, yeah, and uh, I'm really, really honoured actually to have these. Um, I haven't had them that long, maybe, well, I've probably had them about 12 months now, so I'm still trying to get used to playing them and figuring them all out, but uh, yeah, they're absolutely gorgeous, and uh, they have, you know, they, they're, they've got ghosts in them somewhere from like different gigs and things, I can just tell, you know, they've got uh, weird notes and everything. You know, it's a very it's a very funny experience hearing them um, down this garbled line as well, because you get all the the um, ghostly wheezings and um, things from the actual instrument, and then you get this digital smushing of them. So there's like there's all sorts of. I mean, it's amazing. It's such a brilliant sound. Like it's completely unbroadcastable, but it's 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 fascinating. You know what I mean? We get a bit of noise art. When we're listening to this, actually, was something I was going to ask earlier on. Have you t- ever tinkered? Like, I, I, my work, I end up doing it 
generative art every now and again as part of my kind of so i work in advertising and interactive advertising so i end up working with augmented reality and motion control and stuff and every now and again we'll we'll do something that has a mini controller or we'll do some generative art or gesture or whatever and when i got thinking about your um your v pipes i was thinking that would be oh, i would love to i'd love just to, to to have a player that knew how to play them and just start generating see we've seen where we could get to with with that have you ever have you have you experimented in that world at all uh well i haven't really combined my like playing and my art um uh but i have done a lot of stuff with like generative um uh like randomly generating uh things like that you've just you just answered my next question there which was what's generative so uh, i i guess it's like you know um well a good example uh is uh is like a, for example a game like Minecraft, where, where every time you play it, it's a different experience. Like the the basically you, you turn it on and it creates like a little virtual world for you to run around with like trees and plants and uh, like rivers and animals. Uh, it's all created by um, uh, without getting too geeky about it. It uses like an algorithm to to randomly generate um, uh, the environment for you. Um, so normally it uses like. Uh, like a noise algorithm and then it basically repeats it a few times and it gives you this really weird um uh, uh landscape and then it refines it using the different parts of the algorithm and then you eventually eventually you get um what looks like uh, a landscape the one thing that you mentioned there was that that it's never the same twice which does sort of bring me back to the the idea of playing in sessions and playing tunes in sessions and how um, ephemeral that experience is and how it's a snapchat experience of its of its absolute moment it is and then it's gone mm. so yeah just into the uh the thing that we said we we're going to chat about and we didn't which was you said you fell into the restoration um so w- what kind of work have you been doing with uh, with regards to actually building and, and restoring uh okay yeah so i've been really in like I've always had like um, an interest in old, uh, like the older instruments, and uh, like for years and years, I really wanted to have like a like you know like a historic set, um, and uh, I asked around and asked lots of people, and you know I, nothing was nothing was shifting, uh, nobody wanted had anything to sell or wanted to sell, and uh, randomly um, out of the blue, uh, I come across a set in uh, auction up for auction in Bath. So like literally we're really close to where I used to live. Um, there was a really weird, like basically it looked like a, like a load of sticks and it all been like put together poorly. And uh, I took a punt on it and I, I won, I won the auction and I picked up the set and uh, it's, um, it was basically a big, uh, absolute write off really. Um, but uh, I, I bought it as like, you know, to try and teach myself how to, how to make, you know, I mean uh, with, with, Pipers, pretty much every single piper needs to have some level of uh, pipe maintenance, um, you know, whether it's like reed making or being able to like fix, uh, you know, your, your leather pads or whatever. Um, so you need to have like some level of that. And I was just basically taking that to the, to another level um, by trying to like uh, work on this historic set and, you know, and not to ruin it, of course. Um, so, yeah, it turns so out. Where are you at in the process of your near the end? <laughs> uh it's an ongoing process it's like with a lot with i think um 
the analogy that I've heard for owning a historic set is the same as uh, owning like a classic car. You know, it's never ever going to be a hundred percent where you want it, so you can always keep working away at it. Um, and you know that's part of the fun as well. Like you know, the, the you have to really enjoy, um, you know, having a set that doesn't work very well to to you know to to, to actually own a, a classic, you know, like a historic set. Um, so yeah, it turns out they were um, they were made by um, Michael Egan, who was um, uh, one of the sort of big names in the the golden age. Um, he would have made them maybe around 1830, 1840. Um, uh, Egan himself was a very interesting character. There's lots of like um, he's mentioned in uh, O'Neill's Musicians and Minstrels as well. Uh, uh, O'Neill reckons he was the best maker. Um, uh, so I'm very very privileged to have them. They, they were missing the chanter, and uh, a lot of um, bits of them had been broken or uh, had been replaced. Um, with a lot of the the historic sets, the um, what people used to do was they would like cut bits off them to like shorten them to make them play sharper. <laughs> so this set had um, the drones had been cut off um, to make them uh, play sharper. Unfortunately, uh, so but this you know I was still you know good uh you know they were still able to work um uh that's that's it's it's completely that is completely uh, eerie the the idea of having such an old set though right that there's um like there's an are you familiar with the solera system that they use for sherry for um you know um the solera system for sherry is that um, you take a young wine and you add um, an older wine to it to help it mature and you take a, a certain amount of the older wine and then you get an even older one and you take a little bit of that. So you end up with this wine that has some proportion of, of a very old wine in it even though the bulk of it is, is quite young. It's homeopathy right? for wine. <laughs> it's for wine. Yeah, so that's what comes into my head when I think about that ancient set of pipes you know there's just this um i mean it's amazing to think about that isn't it like just i mean you mentioned ghostly it's ghostly it would have to be with pipes too because out of any instrument like all the different instruments that all the players and the instruments that we talked to like the the one instrument that players always fuck with are the pipes pipe players need to get their hands dirty it sounds like there's not there wouldn't be a pipe player out there who hasn't had to tinker with their instrument where I don't know most fiddle players would just would they take it to a luther or the same with guitar players for that matter pretty much any other instrument but pipe players need to through necessity just get their hands dirty so you'd imagine the chopping the, the pipe down to or chopping the chanter could have been for any reason or just because you know I can yeah there's definitely you know um, I've seen a lot of uh, uh old sets of pipes where people have just you know done their own bits like my, my friend the um uh, who has the the professor cummings taylor set you may be the nicest uh um taylor set that there is you know that has ever one of the nicest sets ever been made um the, the one of at one stage one of the owners uh chopped the um the base regulator uh the top of it off um uh, because it didn't fit in their in their pipe case <laughs> I mean, imagine doing that. Like, it's like, oh god, yeah. So, is your set is is your set actually at the point now where it makes a sound, or are you still in the sort of, is it still laid out all over your garage, kind of? 
No, no, it's um, this Up one. On wheels. It it does it does work, but um, I haven't pl- hadn't played it in a little while, and uh, I took it out a couple of days ago, and um, just the when you turn on the drones, my God, it's like it, it actually gave me um goosebumps just just from the drones. Have you have you got have you got it handy? Uh, no, I don't. No, it's um, it's actually back in bits again. Oh, okay. I mean, if you want to hear it, we could listen to you put it back together again. We've got another <laughs> thirty minutes of tape. <laughs> You know, uh, I a couple of um, months ago we caught up with uh, a guy called Sean Lally, and he he was the first one who ever mentioned to me a, a tunnel. Is I hopefully I'm pronouncing that correct? Am I pronouncing that correct? Tunnel, tunnel. However you want, uh, I would say uh, tunnel. Tunnel. That's actually that's what I heard too. I just stored it wrong, and he said like half of the half of it could be uh, you're playing tunes, but the other half is you've got a whole group of pipe players and it's all about trading tips and it's it's tinkering and taking stuff apart and put it putting it back together again i think i'd be just as interested to be a fly on the wall in the in the tinkering room as as the playing room like it, just, it it's a fascinating sub sub hobby within the hobby itself if that makes sense yeah absolutely i mean the thing about <laughs> Whenever pipers get together, they just talk about pipes the whole time, and it feels like you know if you, if uh, bless them. Um, one of my friends sometimes he comes out with us, and we just, uh, whenever we're like you know there's like three pipers, and then him he's not interested in pipes whatsoever. And he has to like just sit there, and we just like talk about pipes for hours. <laughs> he's just sitting there with his pint, just you know. It's like I feel yeah. bad for the fella, but yeah, I mean the 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 reason that like pipers can just talk about pipes and like notes and you know reed making and everything for like hours and hours on end is because it's such a complicated instrument you know there's so much depth to it anyway you know it's like it really lends itself to you know well i guess to that kind of personality but also those like deep you know in-depth conversations and you know and mysteries all right so um shall we have another tune to finish uh yeah sure um yeah let's see uh all right listen jason thank you so much yeah thank you so much (laughs) that's all right no problem uh yeah thanks for having me guys it's been a really nice way to spend the afternoon Okay, here we go. Ah, brilliant. Lovely, in tune. <laughs> uh, okay, let's do... Uh, yeah, this is a tune we... So I, yesterday I went on one of the um, uh, classes, with the, the Skull, uh, sorry, uh, Willie Clancy classes that uh, Nepi Brillen had been running. I went to a regulator class with uh, Gay McKeown. It was absolutely fantastic. He, uh, yeah, it just changed a lot of um, my sort of thoughts on playing and, uh, you know, even the basics. Uh, and one of the tunes that we were going to do, we didn't get around to doing it because it, it was quite an intense um, uh, session. Was this tune here, uh, "When the Cock Crows at His Day," uh, which is a lovely, lovely little tune. And uh, yeah, let's, uh, I'll give that one a go because it's, uh, it's fun to play and uh, maybe a nice one to finish on.
Jason Rose. Thank you, Jason, for that. I now know what MIDI means. MIDI. I've seen MIDI for the last 30 years. I've seen MIDI and I've kind of looked at it and gone, I don't know what that is. I've seen it in Pro Tools. I've seen it on the back of things. I've seen it on the back of keyboards and the back of recorders. MIDI, MIDI, MIDI. I just I've never known what it means. So I mean I still don't really know what it means, but that was gonna be my next question. <laughs> what is it? What does it mean? <laughs> don't ask me. It's move it's, along. It's not too hot, it's not too cold. It's just in the MIDI. Yeah. As I mentioned at the top, all the links will be in the show notes, along with a link to our Patreon. Uh, as always, look, I think I'm gonna keep on calling it this for a while. Thanks to our patron saints who make this podcast possible in the first place. We could not do this without you so thank you so much if this week you think is the week you're going to take the plunge and for a few weeks you've been thinking that you are oh, one day i will get to sponsoring the lads please do it this week but at the end of the episode the intro music is going to come up just click on that little link patreon.com forward slash balani pilgrims we'll send you a hello all right <laughs> go on good luck all right Hi, my name is Rosa. Please become a subscriber to the podcast. Thank you.